Welcome to Many Windows, the podcast for all people, all of them, about all topics in education. My name is John Cassie. I'm joined, as always, by my dear friend and co-host... Jennifer McGlemory. That's my cue, right? <laughs> Good. Jennifer. Yes. Come on. Pick, pick I'll get it up. Better. Pick I'll it up. You'll get okay. better. Yeah. That's right. Yeah. Don't you worry. Yeah. Um, so, how's it going? Good. We're getting, uh, we're recording this towards the end of our school year right. for me. I, you're on Same. spring break. I'm on break. We right. have these weird calendars and I end earlier. And so I'm crazy right now and right. you're relaxed. Right. And Hooray. then in another month or so, I'll be relaxed and you'll be crazy. Right. <laughs> this is the nature of the beast. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. By, by virtue of being in an independent school, um, my breaks are, are sort of structured differently than they are in the public's. And so, poor Jennifer. <laughs> yes, the children. Living, living the dream. The children. <laughs> the children. Oh, the children. <laughs> they are ready to be done with school, and the teachers are ready to be done with school, Truth. and we all are ready to be done with school. We're all ready to be done. And when this is, uh, when this is shared with, uh, with the, the Many Windows audience, most of us will, in fact, be out of school, because yep. we're recording rather early. That's what we do. Um, today's topic is uh, one that is particularly near to Jennifer's practice and heart, special ed. Yes. And and kind of all the ins and outs of that. Super complicated topic. Yeah. There's no way we'll cover everything in, in a single episode. You know, listeners, you should be prepared uh, for us to put a, put a thing or two in the parking lot mm-hmm. for further, more drilled down investigation. And, uh, you know, frankly, you might, uh, you know, as listeners... Realize that we've said something that you'd like us to spend more time on, in which case you'll feed back to us mm-hmm. what we should be doing to give you, you know, the listener, whether you're a teacher or a parent or a student or an administrator, you know, kind of what you need in order to, to, to navigate what can be a pretty tricky road for some to navigate, right, Jen? Definitely. Now, I'm not a special education teacher. I don't have right. a special education credential. Right. But uh, when I was getting my admin credential, I did a research paper because I was interested. At the time, I was an assistant principal, or was I was going to become an assistant principal. Right. And as in middle school, as an assistant principal of instruction, you also are running the special education program at your oh, wow. middle school. Some schools, if they're large enough, they might have, like LA Unified, I think, uh-huh. they have an assistant principal that's just doing special education, but they're often split between two schools Mm -hmm. and they're running back and forth between these two schools just to help with the special education program. Yeah. But I think more often than not, most schools, an assistant principal, definitely when I was at the elementary school and did not have an assistant principal, I was in charge of the special education program. Yeah. And the research that I did said that only 7% of administrators have a special education credential, and yet they are in charge of the special education program at their school. Yeah. So when I've discovered that, I already had kind of an interest and passion because when I was teaching at my middle school, we did a lot of what we call push-in. Sure. Where students who, you know, have a disability, usually a mild learning disability, were in general education classes and they just got a little extra support as opposed to students who are pulled out, which is what happens in elementary school, and students who need more support, a greater level of support, are pulled out into their own class where there are fewer students in the class and 
depending on the level, the curriculum might be accommodated mm-hmm. or it might be modified right. depending on the student need. And right. those are those are words that, that the, folks are going to encounter a lot in this in this dimension of education, right? So accommodated, modified. Special education has specialized language. Yeah. That we use. And yeah. I'm gonna intentionally use that today Absolutely. and define it. Great. So when you hear me say something and you know that it's jargon, special ed jargon, because that's really what I want today to be about, right. is kind of pulling back the the curtain, defining these words. What do you need to know? If you're a parent and you have you suspect your child might have a disability, or you're a teacher who believes a child in your class has a disability. Or you're a parent and a teacher is telling you, I think there's a problem with your child. Yeah. I want to talk through how do you find that out? Right. And what does that mean? And also, you know, what I always want to do is reduce the stigma of special education. Right. That's important to me. Because now we are in a time, this is not the 70s, where if a child has some sort of learning disability, they would, they're all lumped together and sent to a special school. No. Yeah, right. There are so many things that we can do just in the general education environment. Yeah, that's that push-in notion. To support right. kids, yeah. yeah. So that, those are some things I want to cover. So I taught in a model where I had 32 kids in the class and maybe seven or eight of them had a mild learning disability. I was an English teacher. Mm-hmm. Often learning disabilities are language-based. right. So it comes up um, in an English class for sure, but the model was there was an additional adult in the classroom. It was either a special education teacher or a special education instructional assistant um, who was there, and they walked around and they helped any student in the class. They didn't sit next to you know the child with an IEP, but I'm telling you, I learned so much about good teaching right. from those paraeducators and those special educators. And what I would do when I was teaching is I would think about some of my kids who were on an IEP, who I knew struggled with either writing or reading or you know executive functioning skills. That might that's a topic for a whole other episode. Yeah, for sure. We'll, yeah, we'll touch yeah, that, on that. Yeah, that that skill, executive function and the development of executive function. We definitely want to talk about by itself. Yeah. Right? You've used the term IEP a few times, but folks might not know what that is. So what does that actually mean? So it stands for Individualized Education Plan. Okay. A student who's on an IEP is in special education. Okay. By definition. By definition. Okay. Because they have a plan that's been drafted by a team of specialists Based on data, presumably they have received from external and internal sources that say, we've identified a, an obstacle, a challenge that this particular student may encounter in a, just a routine classroom. And because of this, the school should respond in a certain way to make sure that the student is able to maximize their learning. Yeah. Is that, so is that fair? That is fair. Okay. Um, usually, when a child is not keeping pace with their peers, okay, 
that's your first, you know, you have a baby and you go to the doctor every month, six weeks, you know, for those regular checkups. And there are these milestones for growth and development, right? Yep. There are also kind of learning milestones. There are speech milestones. Okay. And that's where... uh, Motor milestones, right? Fine motor, gross motor. Okay. And so some of these these disabilities, I'm going to keep using the word disability because the model that we use right now, you have to have a disability to qualify. Ah, So that's a legal term we're using. Okay. Now, the UK has reframed this and talks about learning differences. Got it. Which I love. Again, a whole other conversation. I'm just using the word disability right now because of kind of the model that we're still under. And it's a little behind, I would say. There are probably some places that are more progressive. Yeah. But in general, you're going to find most places are a little behind in what the goal is and what we're actually able to do in education because it's all about funding. Yeah. Right? And anytime it's about funding... Everything's going to slow down and be mired in legalese yeah. <laughs> and, you know, and fear. Sure. Right? Sure. If they're, and that's what I find administrators, teachers, parents are frightened about the legal aspect of special ed. And oh. so I, I want to uh, um, um, hopefully... You're going to get to that. Yeah, yeah, depunct some of those things and just talk about some general good practices, right? That, yeah. So you cannot be afraid. And we're yeah. going to talk really about the spirit of special education, the yeah. spirit of the law, the spirit about, you know, some people may have heard of the term IDEA, you know, which was kind of the the law that has now actually been, re- continues to be revised. And there are certain things that we are mandated to do. And I'm going to go into that. But let's talk about... Is that Individuals with Disabilities in Education Act? Correct. Okay. You got it. Um, And it is a federal law. So special education falls under federal law. Oh, okay. Where most education code is state-driven. Right. And funding for most schools is from the state. Funding for special education comes from the federal government. And it does... It's never enough to run all the services that you really need to run in a school for special education. Yeah. So the districts are always pitching in a little extra. Right. To cover it all. So um, one of the first disabilities that is usually diagnosed is autism. Mm-hmm. It's diagnosed by a doctor most of the time because autism is, um, is a language-based Disability. So students who are not making those speech milestones. I see. Yes. Um, and it's one of many things. I'm sure there are some people right now who know a lot about autism that are listening that are, you know, dying to hear me describe it in this fashion. Because really, I I, I also think it is um, uh, a big part of autism is the sensitivities. Okay. Right. And so there's some sensory. Uh, integration that goes with autism, but there's also this language and pragmatics um, delay that is usually, I think, how autism gets diagnosed, particularly in the milder form. Okay. Okay. Autism is a huge spectrum. And by pragmatics, you mean what? Pragmatics is a word that we use in speech that means the social language. I see. Right? So our speech therapist will work with kids, and this is at the middle school level, but speech therapy starts, it's also one of the early diagnoses, is a speech and language uh, impairment. 
Right. And that's one of the diagnoses that you can qualify for. And that's often diagnosed early because a child should be speaking or they have what's called an articulation delay. Okay. That's the fancy word for a stutter, a lisp. Uh, you know, you can't understand them. Uh, there's there, my nephews. I, I couldn't understand them. My sister could absolutely understand, you know, their language. Sure. But... I couldn't understand what they were saying. And then I'd run back to school and start quizzing my uh, speech and language pathologist and be like, right. is this normal? <laughs> <laughs> they can't say their L's. And she would say, no, that is a later developing sound, right? So, but a lot of kids... So slow your roll. Yeah, don't right. worry, Jennifer. It's going to be okay. Everything's fine, yeah, right? Gonna, oh, there's something wrong with them. And, you know, I think that's probably a... a something that parents go through all the time, right? They're, they compare their kids to either siblings or their friends' kids right. or they go to the playground and their sure. kids are playing. Oh, well, my, you know, how come this kid is running and, and doing these things and my child isn't doing that yet? You know, right. that's kind of where we first start to see. But then the question is, you know, what is within the range of just normal, you know, it's going to come. Some are early developers, some are late developers, right? right so right. we have to account for that. And I think as we, it's really relevant to what we're talking about with special education, because that's one thing we always have to ask ourselves and we have to give kids time before we jump to, oh my gosh, you know, we need to start with all of these special education interventions, there are other interventions that should come first. Because sometimes kids need time. But there's also, um, particularly for something like what's, what's now referred to as ASD, right? Autism spectrum disorder. Yes. Um, we talk about kids being on the spectrum because it is such a large spectrum. Because it expresses itself in... in- a really wide range yeah. of of uh, behaviors, patterns, uh, languages, etc. Yeah. yeah, and I think and the um, a lot of people now have heard of the term Aspergers. Yes, right. As and thought like if how would you define Aspergers? I'm not sure. I'm not sure that I could define it, but I've had. Asperger um, diagnosed students. Mm. So uh, a couple of qualities would be that, you know, sort of in in a high school setting, because that's that's my where I've spent most of my teaching time. Right. Um, The sort of a disinterest in socializing with their classmates in the way that most high school students are sort of obsessed with the social hmm. the Asperger students that I've interacted with sort of disinterested in that uh, a great deal of attention paid to particular interests mm-hmm. again e- each student being totally different from the other right there's no particular overlap there other than a level of depth of interest right and a real focus drilling drilling down 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 right mm-hmm. um Social interaction cues, you know, sort of not looking you in the eye, mm-hmm. that kind of thing, mm-hmm. right? Um, but otherwise, uh, the writing was good. Mm-hmm. You know, the the reading skills seemed to be there. Capacity to speak was there. You know, just these other kinds of kinds of expressions, at least in my experience. 
So Asperger's was this, uh, if you want to call it a disorder, I don't know, but it's named after a man whose name was Asperger who Indeed. discovered it, right? Yep. That's where that name came from, in case right. you didn't know that. Um, it's no longer used. Right. I mean, it's still used in conversation, but as uh, when the professionals and you know the people who make these lists and name things, yeah. um, everything just falls with, under the spectrum, and they right. are considered high-functioning high autistic people with autism, right? Yep. Um, and they often we have a program here, an autism program, and we have a number of kids that are very high-functioning, and they are in gate classes. They are in gen ed classes, general education. Whenever I say gen ed, it's general education, what all the rest of the kids are in. They and, are in. And gate is gifted gate and talented. Is gifted and talented education. So they are, they are gifted. They are getting A's and A pluses right. in these classes. Um, but they, <clears throat> it is that social um, uh, language that they struggle with and this, just the social mores. Right. 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 And so they have specific um, they have groups and they have individualized sessions with our speech and language therapist who works on that very thing. Right. Teaching them, you know, when when somebody's face looks like this, here's what it means, because that's one of the things they have a real difficult time is is um, interpreting facial expression. Uh, sure. Facial recognition. Yeah. 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 Or, or not. Or, not. Yeah, yeah, more like, Interpretation. you know, this is an angry face. You know, use your imagination, people. You know, yeah, this is, yeah. what is it? And a lot of pictures are used. What is? We could probably do a, um, maybe later, 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 but down the road, if it was an area of interest for people, a whole episode just on ASD, autism spectrum disorder. Sure. I've got, I could bring my teacher from my program in. We could hear from her. Yeah, we why could not? Get some, right. you know, real experts in the area. Yeah, yeah. Um, but because that, that's one area one, where... Yes. And that's usually diagnosed fairly early. Correct. Because it expresses itself as a delay in uh, in a developmental milestone that normally hits early. Yeah. Right? And so some people, if you've ever seen the movie about Temple Grandin, right? Sure. Or read any of her books, I've, I've had the opportunity to see her speak and I've read her books. And she talks about growing up and how... Um, it was referred to as frigid mother syndrome. Right. That there was the mother wasn't holding her baby enough, but the the she didn't want to be touched. She didn't want to be held. Right. You know that that sensitivity to tactile um, stimuli was too much. The thing about ASD is it is heightened awareness. Right. To um, uh, smells. Uh, uh, visual input, you know, they're overstimulated. Right, particular sound frequencies. Yeah, oh right. yeah. Or, yeah. And it is because those, um, you know, those neuron catchers in the brain, as you get old, when you're born, you know, you have these, I think of them as like little catcher's mitts, you know, uh-huh. <laughs> the synapses, you know, throw some information and then you have these little catcher's mitts that have to be wide open when you're a baby because you want all the information to come in. Right. And that's why babies need to nap every couple of hours because there's so much information coming in that their brain is trying to make sense of. Right. At right. around the age of two, those catcher's mitts start to close up a little bit and become more narrow. And what's happening is that's when we're learning language. And yeah. that's when 
babies are starting to look at their mother's and father's lips, uh-huh. uh, isolating the sound that they're hearing with the movement of the lips to match those two to try and produce it for themselves. Right. What happens with um, kids with autism, those catcher's mitts don't ever, not ever, but they don't at the age of two start to um, sh- shrink for a bit, uh, that's a terrible word, close up a little bit, narrow enough that they can, because it's it's about, it's about leaving discerning. out. It, yeah. 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 Right? Discerning's yeah. a good word. You know, leaving out, being able to ignore background stimuli. Right. And that's what our brain starts to do so we can focus in on things and learn them. Right. Uh, and their brain doesn't do that on the same schedule. Right. And so it makes learning language really hard. That's why that's one of the first um, right. indicators. They're not learning language, but they're also just really bothered by all of these things that are coming in through their senses that they're not able to ignore, which we learn to do, mm-hmm. typically developing kids learn to do. Right. And so that's where it's initially noticed and in, in different degrees. But that's one of about, I don't remember if it's 13 or 14 different categories that kids can fall into to qualify for an IEP or for special education services, right? So autism is a pretty big one now. And it's gone back and forth from being called autistic-like character traits because the school districts didn't want to diagnose this. It should be diagnosed by a doctor. There are certain things that are supposed to be medical diagnoses that are diagnosed by a doctor, and then there are certain things that the school can test for. And um, so let me go through some of the big, the big ones. Okay. All right. So you gave us one. So autism is pretty big. The number one uh, reason that a child qualifies uh, is what's called either specific learning disability. Okay. So more generally, people have heard of dyslexia. Okay. That falls under the category of a specific learning disability. We don't, in education, diagnose dyslexia. We diagnose reading disorders. Dyslexia falls under that. We don't get that specific. I understand. Okay? Yep. But there are learning disabilities that affect a child learning math, learning reading. You know, mostly they have to also have a processing delay of some sort, either visual or auditory. So the schools test for that. So if you're, you know, if your child is in first and second grade and just not able to hear those um, phonics sounds. Yes. Right? They're just not able to discern them. They're having trouble. Like, you know, one of the things our kindergarten teachers do is they do blending and segmenting. So they say to the kids, all right, I'm going to say these sounds. You tell me what the word is. Can you blend those sounds and hear that word? Right. Right? And the kids, you, you say, say it, they say it faster, they figure out what that word is. And then they say, okay, now tell me the sounds that are in dog. And then the right. kids need to segment. Right. And that the, is... Oh, g. Right. Yeah, okay. Can you break up words into their sounds, into their phonemes? And that's one... Some kids really struggle with that. And there is... 
a disability in which they're not able to really hear those phonemes or discern them as well. Okay. It falls, falls under that. So that's an example. And that's all sort of under this cluster of reading disorders or speech disorders? Uh, reading. Reading uh, disorders. Learning disorders. Okay. Actually. Okay. So it's called specific learning disabilities. Got it. Right? That's a big one. The next big one um, is speech, speech and language. Okay. And a kid can be on an IEP for just articulation, just a lisp, just... Um, um, they haven't learned those sounds at the age that they should have. And yeah. they can just get speech therapy for 30 minutes a week. And for a couple of years, they master that sound. They're exited done. They are on an IEP. Yes. They are in special education. Right. But it's speech only. Yep. Sometimes those speech delays right. reveal something more. Right. That's going on in the brain that is a struggle in that language area of the brain. Yeah. But not always. Not always. Yeah. Lots of that. We always had, you know, out of the hundred kids at my uh, elementary school of 650, we probably had a hundred kids on IEPs. At least 20 to 30 were what we called speech only. Yeah. They just had speech therapy and that's it. Yep. Right? So their speech and language is a big one. And that is, again... It could be a kid just with a speech IP. It could be a student who needs a, some support in their classes as well because that language impairment is affecting their ability to read and write. Right. And discern math word problems, right? Right. There's so much crossover with yeah. language. Yeah, yeah, Everything in school is language heavy. Sure. Right? Think about science and social studies as right. well. Right. Think about middle school and high school. Right. It's all language heavy. Right. So. Even athletics. Oh, interesting. Right? You know, because yeah. I have a I have a student of my own who has wanted to design approaches to education that are more kinesthetic. And in particular, kinesthetic coaching hmm. aids because he says because my coaches use so much language. Hmm. Students who are really good at language pick up plays faster than I do, right? And that doesn't feel like it's so great for me because what I need is to be shown. I need the coach to basically run the play. Mm -hmm. Don't even, don't say anything. Don't say anything. Just run it. Mm -hmm. So he wants to design... Uh, you know, LED lighting surfaces, huh. right, that he could use to have the coach just program on an iPad, hmm. make this play, do this. This design. Okay, do this design. Uh-huh. Okay. And that's a place where we wouldn't think, well, yeah. oh, well, then those kids are probably good athletes. Well, no, mm-hmm. because language is literally everywhere. Yeah. Yeah. That's right. Yeah. And... S- you know, how often, I'm sure parents, even, you give directions to your kids. You get home and you say, okay, I want you to put your backpack in your room. I want you to uh, take off your tennis shoes. I want you to wash your hands and I want you to come sit at the dining room table. Okay, that's four verbal directions. Right. Lots of kids (laughs) 
we'll maybe get two out of those four. You know, they'll get the first and the last one, but miss the middle two altogether. Right. You know, uh, because even the typical de- developing brain can't really handle at a young age, you know, four step directions. That's right. Given verbally, right? Yeah. So don't panic if your three year old, you know, can't follow four step directions. Uh, yeah. uh, that's pretty normal. So right. our top. Um, disabilities that kids qualify for are it's it's specific learning disability, speech and language. Right. Next one, and I don't know the percentages change, but the next big one is what's called other health impairment, OHI. Oh. And okay. so you might be thinking, so really? What, are there that many? Right. What would that be? ADHD falls uh, under that category. Uh, okay. Okay. It can be real health related. Um, we have uh, like spinal bifida, yep. you know, cerebral palsy. You right. know, these are health impairments, right? Right. These are pretty serious physical impairments, right? But it's that's what's called low incidence, right? Like there's not a lot of kids really that have that. Oh, sure. Yeah, right? I, I understand. Right. So it's a category. It's a, and it falls under other health impairment. Right. But the majority of other health, of OHIs the, are in the. ADHD. Uh, uh, attention deficit right, uh, right. spectrum, if you right. will. Yeah, exactly. And that could be a whole. That could be an episode in itself it as should well. Be. Yeah, because I agree one hundred percent that attention disorders are a spectrum like autism is. It's it is such a range. That's certainly been my experience as a school administrator and as a teacher. Mm-hmm. Is that you could get students, uh, five different students, all on paper described the same way, Mm -hmm. but whose expression of that paper description is really quite different and requires you as the, as the educator to have a, a a much more complex set of skills Mm -hmm. than the paper diagnosis might suggest you actually need. The trickiest thing about that ADHD is the diagnosis. Yeah. Because whereas a specific learning disability, the way that you test for that is the school psychologist will will pull your child and will give them a battery of tests. And right. they are trying to they're they're trying to strip out kind of the language and verbal components on right. some parts. They were trying to get a nonverbal um, ability level, an IQ. Right. And they're doing puzzles and they're trying to represent um, designs. They're they're trying to um, uh, trace things, uh, and then they're doing some verbal tests as well. Yep. You could, uh, that could be a whole nother again, whole nother story for another day. Um, but at the end of the day, after about two to three hours, um, the the psychologist will have multiple subtests that come together to give you. Um, uh, an IQ in certain areas like verbal ability, nonverbal ability, processing speed, working memory, mm-hmm. uh, things like that, which are really important. And then that all together is their general ability level or IQ, we call it. Okay. Their general IQ. And, you know, 100 isn't the maximum. 100 is dead middle. Right. Right? That's the whole bell curve. Okay. So... The school psychologist tests what is their ability level. Do they, and ultimately they're trying to answer the question, do they have an average IQ? Average to above average IQ, okay? 
Then the special education teacher pulls them and does um, uh, achievement tests. So how well can they solve these math problems? How well can they read this? How well can they write this? Yeah. Right? And then they get scores for that. And those scores are compared. Ability to achievement. And okay. Most of our most of our skills schools are still qualifying kids based on what's called the discrepancy model. Is there a 22 point discrepancy or mm-hmm. more in their ability level and their achievement? So is their ability much higher than their performance, their achievement, their work in school? Got right. It. Here we know that they should be able to perform these tasks because we've stripped everything else away and we can see that they have this ability. But when they're asked to do this math problem or, you know, read this passage, they can't do it or they they really perform quite low. Why? Why is there this disconnect? And that's special education is to help close that gap, really. To remediate the gap. And it's mostly to reteach in a different way because they need to learn it differently. The way that they've been taught does not work for them and they just need something different, right? Yep. So that's what special education is really for at the end of the day. Right. Um, and some kids do close that gap. They, are, they have those. Um, when you qualify for an IEP, you then are retested every three years to see if you still qualify. And... Sometimes you close that gap and you don't qualify for services anymore and you graduate before you gra- you graduate from special ed before you graduate from high school. Yeah. But most true disabilities are always going to be there because what it means is, you know, the, your brain is wired differently. Right? And that's okay. Right. So you've got these these special ed interventions that speak to a an achievement gap based on an assessment of ability. Mm-hmm. And if they are caused by a kind of a teaching strategy, learning strategy misalignment, those can usually be closed, sometimes fairly quickly, mm-hmm. simply by, by being aware of a thing and deploying a different set of instructional strategies, right? And for the student, they, they learn how they learn. That's right. And yeah. they learn that they need to do this differently when it comes to reading. Right. They And there are a lot of tricks that, they, that we try to teach the kids. Right. That the kids ultimately learn for themselves that they deploy, and then they don't need that teacher anymore, that specialist to help them. Right. But there are an ample number of other health conditions mm-hmm. that no matter what, the school does, they're not going to eliminate that gap. Right. Right. So those, the autism and, um, uh, you know, specific learning disability, other health impairment, speech and language, those are your top four. That probably makes up 90% of your IEPs at a school. Okay. And then after that, we have um, what's, what is now referred to as intellectually disabled so that yeah, is when they do those IQ tests and the, uh, the, the average IQ, dead average, is 100. Right. If they do those IQ tests and the, the, average, the general IQ is 70 or below, okay. they are 
deemed intellectually disabled. It's really a global impairment. Okay. Um, and they are going to always need a significant amount of support and extra help, smaller classes, things taught and reinforced and repeated, uh, pre-taught, retaught, you know, uh, uh, their whole life. They can absolutely learn, right? Yep. All these, I believe, 100%, all these kids can learn. But um, It just requires a different set of intervention strategies. Yeah, yeah, yeah. and yep. specialists. Yeah. Because special education teachers are specialists. Oh, yeah. They're reading specialists. Yeah. You know, yeah. they're math specialists. Yeah. Um, so absolutely. So that's And for one. which they've, they've needed significant training. They've, right? they've had lots of extra schooling yeah. in these areas. Yeah. Um, there's, there's traumatic brain injury is one, is yeah. another disability. Um, deaf and blind. Now, we actually, in our district, had a deaf and hard of hearing um, program, but it has virtually gone away. We had from multiple cities, kids would come here for the death. Oh, wow. Okay. Because of cochlear implants. Oh, wow. It's really, really decreased. But that deaf and hard of hearing is still an eligibility. You know, sure, sure. Still, uh, obviously, kids need something different. They need a translator. Right. Uh, right. And uh, other things. Um, visually impaired, of course, sure. is another one. Obviously, they need, and even um, you know, I had a student at my elementary school who was who was mildly visually impaired, and we had a vision specialist who came. And one of the main things she did is just interfaced with the general ed teachers and provided them with large print for everything that they were doing, the worksheets they were handing out, the textbook. Yeah, sure, sure. Right? It's like some of that stuff is just you need somebody to do all of those things right. for you. And the, the student can absolutely learn the same things right. at the same rate, but tests that they took, everything had to be in large print. Once they had it in large print, they were absolutely able to keep pace. Right. So these are all interventions designed by expertly trained teachers to address whatever the specific diagnosis, whether it comes from the medical side or from the right. school side, right? Right, And in some cases, it's, it's very clear what's going on, mm-hmm. and the intervention is easy to design. We've been doing this for 50 years mm-hmm. sort of thing. Other things harder to nail down, mm-hmm. harder to keep track of. Harder to intervene to to uh, to to remediate, mm-hmm. correct? Yes. Yeah. Yeah, and then and there's also um, orthopedic impairment. So that's just purely physical, having to do with your body. Kids who are in wheelchairs, whatever, okay. uh, things like that. And so they their brain is perfectly intact, right? Yeah. They don't need any kind of um, uh, math or reading support. Instead, they are getting support from an occupational therapist who works at the school. Sure, sure. They have an adaptive PE teacher because they need things different right. than the general ed PE teacher can provide for them. Right. Right, but they still need to get their physical education in. It just looks different. Right. Um, so there are a number of specialists at the school site. Um, and. I have worked with some phenomenal occupational therapists, some phenomenal speech and language teachers, mm-hmm. um, and adaptive PE teachers. And I'm telling you, when you get in a room with all of these really knowledgeable people, um, I'm blown away. Right. Tumbling. Yeah. Yeah. 
Uh, and I have learned so much from just sitting in these IEP meetings because once you're on an IEP, first of all, the first thing you do in that very first meeting to find out if, if you need services, if you need an IEP, is you go through all the testing. And all of these specialists do their own sort of testing. Sure. And they give you valuable information as a parent, as a teacher, as an administrator. Valuable information about this kid and what they need. And right. I've had, you know, as much as there's a stigma for special education, I've also had parents who want that level of understanding for their completely typical kid. You know, yeah. I want to know what their IQ is. I want to know. And I'm like, well, that's, I, of course, of course, everybody does. And yes, you can go to an outside agency and get right. that. Right. But the schools are going to do that only when they see that there's a problem. Yeah. Because that is part of the funding and that is part of... Um, to qualify for that IEP and special education services, you have to fall within a certain range, and it has to be deficient, right? Yeah, yeah there has to have been some demonstrated issue that a teacher or that a doctor has observed right. that then requires the school to say, well, there's something going on. It's not clear what. Let's have a look at that. And see if we can figure it out so that we can provide the correct support. Yeah. Yeah. And there's okay. Some, there's some language like, does it substantially impair? So, for example, there are plenty of kids with ADHD. There are plenty of kids with autism who are absolutely able to function in general education with no support. So no special ed. They don't need special ed. They don't need an IEP. Right. Right. And so it's they're not doing necessary. their thing. They're they're getting good grades. Yep. Right? May, some of them maybe are getting C's and their parents wish they're getting A's. That's not what special education is for. Correct. Right? It's yep. for those kids that without it could not access the curriculum. Yep. They couldn't without it. So that's that's an important distinction. When So let's just go through this process really quickly. You suspect there's something wrong, whether you're a parent yeah. Teacher, administrator, there's something you're not quite sure, you're really concerned. What because do you anyone do? can observe it. Anyone. Right? Anyone can okay. start this process Okay. as well. Yep. So what do you do when you are concerned and suspect? If you're a parent and even a teacher, the f- I recommend the first place you go to, you know, the teacher and the administrator, get together and bring in to a meeting, have a meeting where you bring in a school psychologist or you bring in a special education teacher on your school site because these are your specialists. Yep. Bring them into the meeting. Have We call them SSTs or student study teams. Some places call them student success teams. Do you guys have something like that where you just bring people together with the Absolutely. parent? And, oh, yeah. You know, what do you guys <clears throat> call them in private schools? Oh, parent-teacher uh, conference. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, we, we don't we don't really have a uh, none of the schools that I've worked for use a, a quote unquote jargon term uh-huh. for it, right? No, we're gonna have we're gonna sit with parents and a learning support team. Okay, and so we're you gonna do. see they're called the yeah. learning support team. Yeah, right. <laughs> yeah, yeah. The student so, intervention team. Uh-huh. Right. See if there's a thing. You know, sometimes parents are not aware of how. Uh, of how the school is interpreting hmm. their kids' uh, uh, writing, learning, behavior, etc. Mm-hmm. And so when it comes from us, the intention is, is this a thing? Mm-hmm. Here's what we're seeing. 
do you know anything about this? Mm-hmm. You know, um, for for our purposes in independent schools, because you have to apply to be admitted. Mm-hmm. What often happens in our context is we get an application. The parent knows a thing. Mm-hmm. We don't because they don't tell us. The student is admitted. And we would have admitted the student in any case, right? Mm-hmm. But we don't know something. Mm-hmm. The student lands in class and almost immediately is demonstrating a wide variety of... Usually behaviors. Uh, yep. <laughs> that are sort of maladapted right. <laughs> to what we're trying to, to, to push forward with. And they, they, will, uh, they will often be crystal clear within days mm-hmm. that there's something going on. And then we'll have a parent in to say, have you ever observed these sorts of, of things? Has a school ever told you A, B, C, D, E, mm-hmm. right? And the hope is that we get the documentation they didn't give us, and then we can provide an appropriate intervention, which but, we don't always get. Uh, yeah, which you don't always have. Um, uh, I worked with a teacher. I was her mentor. She was at a private school, but she was working on her um, public school credentials. So yes. I, I was brought in to be her mentor. And <clears throat> she definitely had students with disabilities in her class. And the reason that they that the parents brought their child to a private school is smaller class sizes. Sure. They felt they'd be able to get more individualized attention, which is ultimately what special education offers, but they wanted to do it, you know, and try and avoid that special education stigma. Right. 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 Now it comes. So sometimes a parent observes things at home that are concerning. Right. Right. And they're bringing it up. A lot of the times the teacher is observing something in a class of 30, it sticks out and they say to the parent, you know, your child isn't able to focus or, you know, isn't able to do X, Y, and Z in a class of 30. And the parent says, but at home, they can absolutely do those things Uh because it's a one-on-one setting. Right. And that's often a big kind of disconnect um, or, and can be an area of strife. Uh, between school and home is what the teacher is reporting to the parent about how the child's performing in school is not what the parent sees at home because it's that one-on-one setting. And some kids can absolutely do it all in the one-on-one setting. In a group of 30, they are too distracted by everything else that's going on yeah. to be able to perform and do it in that school setting. Right. So that's where some of the initial um, <clears throat> conflict might start. So, you know, try not to have that be a conflict. Bring all your specialists together. You know, ask for that. The special education teacher, usually if they're invited to um, one of these team meetings, they'll go in and observe the student. Sure. You know, and and they'll be able to bring, a, or at that SST meeting, at that uh, or even at an informal meeting, the special education teacher, if invited, said, well, let me let me go and observe a little bit. And the school psychologist said, well, let me observe a little bit. Let's let's re-meet in a few weeks right. and talk about what we've observed. 
And so if, if there are enough what I'm going to just say red flags <laughs> from the conversation, from what the teacher's reporting, from what the parent's reporting, right. then usually the next step is, and let me say this before the next step, hopefully there are some kind of general education interventions that can be tried. Right. And that's usually the next step, really, is let's try, oh, we all, you know, we have this small group after school. We have this um, um, intervention group that we put kids in that are struggling with this thing, whatever it is, with math. It's a math group. It's a reading group. It's after school. It's free. Why don't we try that for a little bit and see if, if just that little extra helps them catch up. Yep. And you try something. You try a little extra for six months. You know, it really, you need some time. Six months at least. And then are they making progress? Are they starting to close that gap with that intervention? Right. If so, just use that intervention. Max right. it out for a year or two. Right. That gap will close. You don't need to go through all the rest of this rigmarole. They just needed time and a little something extra. And yep. there's lots of kids who absolutely do. Correct. Right? Then, so you've tried this. You've tried the little extra, and it's not enough. What do you do now? You need to go through that full assessment now. So you, the school psychologist tests their ability level. The special education teacher does some achievement testing. If there's any gross motor concerns, meaning like running, um, you know, big muscle group sure, activities, sure, yep. right? Writing, particularly for the young kids, you know, their ability to form letters. You're reading like, what is this? Yep, yep. <laughs> um, uh, so that's called fine motor skills, right. cutting, you know, this is like a standard in kindergarten, you know, can they cut within like an eighth of an inch of the line, you know, right. like they're measuring this kind of stuff in kindergarten. I discovered, you know, it's pretty important. And there's some kids that just, I, I once heard um, a student who was a little bit older describe, he's like, you know how your computer, sometimes you try and print something and it says printer not connected. He's like, that's what it's like with my brain to my hand. It's like uh, the printer's not connected. His brain is sending messages to his hands to do these things and write these things, and his hand is doing something totally different, right? <laughs> That's how it feels for him. Yeah, sure. So there are kids that there just is that dis disconnect. It's the right. fine motor, and they need to do these um, exercises. You know, Essentially, yes. Yeah. yeah, and like I said, occupational therapists do this, and they're amazing. So they do the testing. Right. You know, um, occupational therapists and um, adaptive PE teachers will test for gross motor. Sure. Speech and, speech and language therapists would come up and do all the, the, this, the articulation, the pragmatic language, the right. social language, all right. of that full battery of testing. It's I think it's the coolest thing to sit in that first meeting you know, it's 60 days after, you know, you sign an assessment plan, giving your permission as a parent to do this testing. Yes. 60 days later, everybody gets together in a room and there's a report about your kid. Right. We call uh, called a multi multiple, mul uh, MDR, multiple, dis not disabilities, disciplinary. I should have brought a copy of this. Multiple disciplines report, something like yes. that? Yes. So it's like we looked at everything. It's all of these different people coming together, and in one report, they are each going to tell you about their testing 
and what that means. And in the end, there's a summary that brings it all together and looks at all these different eligibility areas or suspected areas, right? Because usually you go in with an idea. Mm, Does this child possibly have a learning disability? Does this child possibly have attention issues? The one I didn't mention, which could also be a whole other episode, is emotional disturbance. Yeah, let's let's put that aside. Because there is... There's so much behavior that overlays any of these other, just a a learning disability. A child by first and second grade, if they see that the kid sitting next to them can do something and they can't do it, and this kid sure seems to be able to do it really easily, and I am really struggling with it, yeah. they start to have behaviors. They start yeah. to act out, and that goes all the way through school, right? Sure. So behavior is just mixed in with this so much, but there is an eligibility that is about emotional disturbance. It's a, it's a, uh, it's, its own category, yeah. and we, we'll save that for another time because right. that's we'll, pretty we'll heavy. To that that's a heavy own. hitter right there. Yep. And there are behavior programs that are, you know, specifically about that. But so you sit together and you get to, you know, it's a two-hour meeting. I'm telling you, if it's a good meeting, it's a two-hour meeting for sure. And each of the people who has done some assessment on your child will report what they did. They'll describe the kinds of tests that they gave. The report will give kind of examples and describe each little subtest, what it means, and then at the end... Uh, you'll you'll have here's what we suspect you know okay. we suspect that and here's what we're gonna do well then so that's the next okay. part right so here's what we suspect and that's the first question to answer like yes there is this disability and it's substantially affecting them in school because right. it has to be both of those things right right um, the tricky one about attention deficit I think I started to talk about this and then I got distracted myself. Is so for learning disabilities, it are, it's these tests and it's numbers and you can compare the numbers, right? Yeah. For attention disorders, um, what happens is the teacher gets what's called a rating scale. Okay. So a rating scale is um, like 120, 150 questions about your kid where you say, you rate them, you know, um, uh, I wish I knew these off the top of my head, but there's something like, you know, uh, how often does your child, you know, have trouble sitting still? Right. You know, and you say like, never, sometimes, often, you know, that scale, right? Yeah. So there's like 150 of these yep. different I've, I've, things. I've answered them. Yeah. Yeah. So, I think we all have in education. Sure. So the parent gets one to answer. If there's, you know, two parents, they can both do one, yep. particularly if they feel like they're seeing slightly different things or there's two households. Yes. That's sometimes important. Um, the teacher, maybe multiple teachers, fill those out. Indeed. And if the student is older, the student can fill one out about themselves, too, by middle school and high school, definitely. Sure. The students can do one, and that's sure. fascinating. Totally. Right? Um, and then you get... So that's not a test, right? It is... It's a survey. It's a survey. And we know that surveys can be... Problematic? Unreliable? (laughs) Um, Based on somebody's perspective, what you think is often, I might think is seldom. Right. What's the difference? It really has a lot to do with my expectations and what I'm comfortable with, both from the teacher side and... The parent side, right? Which is why you want a lot of them. 
So that, you know, there's the way these rating scales are built is there's multiple questions that are about the same thing, right? right? To try and to try and mitigate for that. That's right. But at the end of the day, it is a survey. Yeah. And that's what's hard about diagnosing any of these kind of disabilities. You can't just go and get a blood test and go, you have diabetes. That's right. Right. That's right. It's always suspected. Right. And so that's just something to kind of keep right. in the back of your mind. Right. Right. Okay. So you're a parent. Yep. Okay. And you've just gone through this meeting mm-hmm. and you've got some suspicions. Mm-hmm. And the school has some suspicions. They give you some some intervention. We're going to try this. So, what should you, as the parent, do next? Well, let the school do what they're going to do. Yeah, but even before that, what happens next in the meeting? Okay. So you go through this MDR. You get all the test results. You find out at the end of the of uh, this report. You know, does your child qualify yes. for special education? And the answer is yes or no. Right. If the answer is yes, then the next packet you get right then and there is the IEP, the Individualized Education Plan. Got it. And that has, every single one has these exact components every time. The first page is called the informational page and eligibility, and it says what is their um, disability their primary and secondary disability that makes them um, eligible for special education. Yes. Okay? That's on the first page. The next page is what's called the present levels. And that give is a summary of all of those things you just heard about uh, testing. Okay. It summarizes um, their academics, their functional skills, communication development okay. is our okay. speech and language, fine and gross motor development. Social, emotional, and behavioral, vocational, okay. which becomes more important later in life. But for younger kids, it's like, can they dress themselves? You know, can they get themselves? Can they feed themselves? Sure, sure. You know, those kind of that's vote. That's your vocational when you're in elementary school. Right. Health. You know, is there some some kind of health impairment mm-hmm. that's on there? Adaptive living skills, and then so you have all those present levels. What are the areas of Deficiencies. What are the areas that need services? Okay. And it should be based on these assessments. Sure. And these areas of like, you know, because you just had all these test results. These are the areas that are struggle. So what are we going to do? Right. So then the, um, the special education teacher, the special education um, specialist uh, writes goals for these areas. And these Makes goals sense. are one year. So this time, a year from now, you know, we have a goal that, uh, and it'll be really specific about, you know, a reading goal or a writing goal or a math goal or a self-advocacy goal or a speech goal or, you know, a pragmatic goal. They're real specific. And they'll tell you that they'll be able, we're going to measure it this way. It's got to be measurable. So it'll have this language like in in three out of four opportunities, you know, Johnny will um, write a three sentence paragraph with sentence frames and you know observed by you know teacher writing samples it'll be real real jargony but it should be addressing it should match what that area of need was right it's right? jargony but it's also observable yes and measurable measurable right which is why it will sometimes sound sort of jargony right right because the professional has to be able to look at it Maybe without having had a lot of 
opportunity to know the student and say, well, okay, I can assess whether a student can do that or not. Yeah, it's going to be real specific. Right. Because it's not about what I think. Yes. It's just about what I am observing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, and they should have some evidence. You know, the teacher should have some evidence 100%. to show, right? Right. Um, and so there's the goals, and then there are the services that are proposed. So there are a lot of goals that can be addressed in the general education environment. Absolutely. It does not mean that they need to be pulled out for special education services. They can still, I've definitely seen IEPs with three or four goals, and those kids are in general education 100% of their day. They never even set foot in a special education room. But there's somebody monitoring them. There's a case manager who's a special education teacher who's interfacing with their general education teachers, who's checking on them, who's going into the classroom and making sure that they're getting what they need, which might be some accommodations like extra time or preferential seating, or there's kind of these general accommodations that a lot of kids get. Right. So there's that level. That's the high, that's what we call the least restrictive environment. We want them in general education as much of the day as we can. With their peers. Yeah. Yeah. In a regular class with typical kids. So can we work on these goals in a general education class is what we ask ourselves. And then for a lot of kids, there, there has become this gap where they're two to three grade levels below their peers. And they might be able to do some of the reading comprehension skills, but not with the grade level text, if that makes sense. Yes. So if you're in fifth grade, but you're reading at a second grade level, you might be able to describe the character. You might be able to give me three plot points, but only if the story is read aloud to you. Right. If you have to read it yourself, you're not going to understand what you're reading. But if you read a second grade level text or maybe even a third grade level text, you could answer these questions. You'd be fine. So those are some changes that are made to see if you can actually demonstrate the skill. So it is sometimes separating that skill out. Right. Right. So what they'll propose is accommodations. Right. Right. And then services. Do they need it? Maybe it's just in math and maybe it's just 45 minutes where they're pulled out of their English class or their math class to get that small group right. extra something from a specialist. Right. That's what special education is. And there are kids... Well, that's that, what special education is when you pull out. Right. Because special education is also push in. Absolutely. Right? Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Because it's based on the IEP. Right. Right. If you don't have an IEP, we're, not, we're talking about something else. Yes. Right. Uh, if you do have one, and IEPs exist in public and private contexts, mm-hmm. then you're being provided with a kind of service to target a very specific intervention towards a very particular, clearly described legal language now, disability, mm-hmm. that you're trying to remediate through an intervention that has a goal a year from now, six months from now, that is really, really specific. Mm -hmm. So parents listening, when you're interacting with your school, you should be expecting all of the things that we just described to be part of what you're being told. And if there are elements missing, you should stop the process and ask, well, what about 
what about the goal a year from now? Mm -hmm. This doesn't seem particularly measurable, Mm -hmm. right? Or are you pushing in to address this? Or are you going to be pulling my child out Mm -hmm. to address this? And why would you choose that strategy over another strategy, Mm -hmm. right? These are the questions, you know, parents listening that you want to address yourself to. And faculty, of course, when you're presented with an IEP, you want to make sure that what you're being asked to do is within the realm of reason that you could do Mm -hmm. and that the intervention support you're going to get as an instructor will provide the student in your classroom with the capacity to drive toward that goal. Again, whatever that goal is. Without that, you're just you're just throwing darts at the wall. Mm-hmm. Right. So And if your child's on an IEP and they have the accommodation of extra time. Yep. And they have a general education teacher, and this happens in high school and middle school, you know, when they have a lot of different teachers. Sure. And particularly for kids who, when you meet them or on the surface, they seem entirely put together. Right. But what? You, but all these disabilities that we're talking about, um, the attention deficit and um, the uh, uh, specific learning disabilities, they're invisible. That's right. Yeah. Disabilities. You can't tell by looking at a kid. Right. Right. And many kids, particularly as they get older, they learn how to mask them. They learn how to play the school game. And quietly underneath, they're struggling. Right. And they need these certain things. The IEP identifies what those needs are and the accommodations that they need. So they might need a little extra time because their processing speed, when they when the school psychologist tested them, they had... A, let me give you a perfect... Ex- I love this example okay, of go. processing speed because I think it's so important. Um, I was an assistant principal, and we were testing a bunch of kids on a reading test in okay. middle school to see who needed a reading intervention class. This is not necessarily special education, right? Yeah. Okay. And this test gave us grade level equivalency for Got these it. middle schoolers. Okay. Got it. And it was like 50 questions, and they had, let's say, 45 minutes. I, I made that part up, but you know, approximately. They had to answer these questions. So... At the end, I get a report on all of these kids and what their score is and what their grade level equivalency is. And I'm looking at these kids, oh, this is seventh grade, 2.5, you know, second grade, middle of the year, you know, third grade rating level, you know, oh my gosh, all of these kids. And so I took, this is back in the age of Scantron. Sure. Right? It's these bubbles that they (gasps) fill up. Uh Yep. And so I grabbed the tests that the kids had bubbled their answers and I flipped through them. And the little scoring machine, you know, would put these red lines each, sure. each, next to each one. And so you're flipping through and you're seeing all these red lines, you know, like, right. yeah, these poor guys, they just, every other question they got wrong, you know. Right. I got to this one test, not a single red line, for the first half. The rest was blank. Ah. Every single question this kid answered was correct. It took him twice as long to answer it. Right. That's processing speed. Right. This kid does not need a reading intervention class. This kid needs more time. Right. Because given the time, and sure, you know, eventually, um, this is a student that we did an actual formal test on their processing speed, and sure enough, that that one subtest was super low, but the general IQ was average, yep. but that one, and this is really typical of those IQ tests too, is their pro, it's a mixed profile. Everybody has 
high points and low points, sure, right? And sure. then it's averaged together for your general IQ. Yep. But here's this kid with everywhere else was average to above average, and then this one really, really low area. Yep. So that's something different. So this is a kid who might who could be in gen ed and needs extra time because it just takes him twice as long to read everything, right. write everything. Right. But when he does it, it's perfect. It's fine. Right? So a teacher can't say, well, in my class, I don't give extra time. Yeah. Because your IEP is a legal document that the teacher must follow. Indeed. And that it's the administrator's job to, um, you know, back up that IEP and make sure that the teachers are following it. Sure, sure. And that's probably like the message I want to end on. I mean, yeah. I'm sure that there are special educators uh, who've listened to this and people who know a lot about special education who are just mortified at all the things that I said because I said them in such broad language and, you know, uh, uh, but, but I what, wanted to give a quick overview, right. not so quick an overview. Right. What, what you've, but what, what, you, what you provided is, uh, you know, you've sort of peeled away the curtain a little bit so that a parent who is distressed or alarmed at at something going on with their kid that they don't understand can see that there's a very thoughtful process behind what leads to the creation of this legal document, right? Whether it says A or B or C, there's a, there's a clear process that leads to that. And if you're a parent receiving one, you now know things that you should be asking for. Right. And questions that you should ask of the document not just of the teachers, because the teachers are going to execute the document with regard to whatever that says your, your child qualifies for. That may be different from what you think is the issue, in which case you should ask the team to help you understand why it says whatever it says. And, and if you're a teacher, of course, the same thing it can seem very arbitrary, Oh, here's another document coming down from the central office. With real specialized language. Right. A very specific format right. that is going to check all the legal boxes. Right. Right. For somebody at the district office. This is the least friendly form you've ever seen in your life. Yeah. For a teacher as well as a parent. Sure. Sure. Right. It is full of pages and words that, you know, I mean, I've sat in probably over a thousand IEPs and I've watched parents and I just, as they're getting all this information for the first time, that first meeting where they get the test results and then they get the IEP and we go through it and it's a two hour meeting and it is overwhelming. Sure. Sure. It is just so much information, so much to take in first time encountering any of this. Right. And what my goal for today's episode was to run you through some of the important stuff that should be discussed in that very first meeting. Precisely. So that you can, if you find yourself in that meeting, you have a little bit of context for what you're going to experience. And then ask questions. So many parents do not, you know, sometimes you don't even know what you don't know. You don't even know, you can't even format a question to ask. That's right. Um, and, and you can always say, like, because they'll ask you for a signature at the end. In order to implement the plan, yep. the parent has to sign. Yep. And many parents that I know say, can I just take this home and reread it? Yep. And bring it back tomorrow signed? 
And that is so appropriate. Totally. And that, it doesn't hurt my feelings at all. You know, it's, it, and it, so many parents, you can say it without being adversarial. Just like, wow, this was a lot. I really need some time to go over, you know, and read right. this again. Can I bring right. it back tomorrow? Can I, I might have some questions. Yep. Absolutely never be afraid to say that or ask that. Right. You know, or just say, can can I just bring this to you tomorrow? Can, can we meet for a couple minutes tomorrow in case I have any questions? Or can I email you questions before I right. sign it? Right. Don't ever hesitate to say right. that. You should absolutely. Yeah. The school's goal is to use all of the data gathered in a professional way. Mm-hmm. To try to make a set of conclusions that lead towards goals that are going to be helpful. Right. And they may not always work the first time out, or Mm -hmm. they might not work for the first six months in the way that you expect them to, or they might not look the way that you Mm -hmm. might anticipate. But your responsibility as the parent is to raise those questions. Yeah. Well, what is going on? What are you observing? Why is this working this way? Why isn't this having this effect? What I'm not seeing something at home that I thought I might have seen by now. That kind of thing. Well, and the goals, once the goals are written, you will get progress reports. You don't have to wait a year. Right. To find out how they did on this goal. You actually get usually 3 progress reports a year. Yep. And this is how they're, you know, how they're doing on on getting towards this goal. And then at the end of the year, if it was way off, and the the special education teachers are are trying to predict right. how much progress they're going to make over a year, but they've done this with a lot of kids, so they're pretty good at it. Right. And then it's kind of like, well, is it an ambitious enough goal? But we don't want to set something too high. So sometimes it takes a couple of. Of rent. And, and a lot of times goals at the end of the year are partially met. Well, yeah, they did it, you know, instead of three out of five times, two out of three. Or right. was it with 80% accuracy? Uh, it was only 60%. Okay, let's just tweak this a little because we're right. almost there. Right. It just not- needs to calibrate a little bit. Yeah. Right. And sometimes it's literally tick, tick, just a couple of steps of yeah. calibration, not... Yeah. And then it's it's let's add a little bit to it because now we're going to set another year goal. Correct. So let's add a little more to it, knowing that in a year's time we want to up that grade level a little more. We want to up that accuracy level. Yeah. And he, a lot of times, absolutely, that goal is met. Let's move on to something else. Right. But it's got to be you know really manageable too. Right. Because you know you want them you want them to have that service to be pulled out from general ed for. Not too much time. You don't want too many goals. Right. Right? Because that's tied together. If you're going to have 15 goals and you only want them pulled out three times a week, guess what? It doesn't work that way. Yeah. That isn't going to happen. Yeah. (laughs) So those two things have to match as well. The services and the goals have to really match. And this is, you know, your special education teachers, your school psychologists, they're the experts in this area. Your service providers are the experts. Right. They have tons and tons of tons of experience doing this. So trust them, but ask the questions so that you can walk away understanding and feel like you understand it a little bit better. Totally. Because it's an imperfect science. It is. Right. I mean, we, we think about... The state of best practice in 2019, and we look at the state of best practice in 1999 Mm -hmm. or 1979, we think about language and terminology, what we are aware of, what we're not aware of, right? Yeah. Um, 
stigmatizing practices of schools themselves. Right. The totally inappropriate ways in which teachers from 50 years ago, well-intentioned, but profoundly uh, dehumanizing to their students at the end of the day, mm-hmm. uh, you know, behaved, right? Mindful always that we don't have a, a, a map of what's called the human connectome. <laughs> we don't know how brains are wired. We can't just take a scan or 23andMe. Yeah. You know, your five-year-old. But with all of these thoughtful professionals thoughtfully engaged in the work, we've got a shot of pointing in the right direction, mm-hmm. right? As I'll often say to... Uh, uh, you know, to folks who want a metaphor. Okay, well, look, here we are. We're standing in Los Angeles. Now, we know we need to get to Boston. As long as we start out going east, that's going to be okay. Now, ideally, we would pass through Las Vegas. We might miss. But as long as we keep going east and Broadly in the direction of Boston, we're going to learn more as we go down the road and we'll be able to calibrate what highway we're on with increasing efficiency. That becomes the job of the conversation that you as a parent or you as a teacher are going to have with your child's or your student's team. Mm -hmm. That becomes the goal. So next episode, we'll be introducing something called Corrections Corner that will be based on all of the feedback that you send about all the things I said wrong in this episode. Right. And you'll you'll want to send all of those things directly to Jennifer. That's right. Yeah. Bypassing me entirely. That's right. Um, Uh, It's called Multidisciplinary Report. Jennifer, come on. Yeah, come on. Um, You know, look, our our, our job here is to... uh, is to generate and stimulate a conversation, yeah, right? Yeah. And to uh, and to get the community crowdsourcing its wisdom. Yeah. To help, uh, you know, to help one another. So uh, you can find us uh, on uh, uh, on Facebook. You can find us in iTunes. You can find us. Uh, go to a search engine, type in Many Windows Podcast. You'll be taken right to us, and we look forward to getting your feedback. And uh, as uh, as we've said in the past, go to iTunes. Rate and review. Even just a handful of good reviews makes a huge difference to the way in which the podcast is presented to the rest of the podcast community. So we hope that you'll get out there and give us a little bit of love and give us a little bit of correction if we need it. Absolutely. Thanks, folks. Bye. See you next time. Cheers.